I want to thank you for the um, for the generosity to help uh, the, the trip that's uh, upcoming uh, to Brazil. Uh, the beginning, uh, the first ten days or so of October. It's it's amazing to me the um, the kinds of things that have happened in this uh, this retreat the the last uh, two years that we have had it. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of guys coming from a lot of different countries in South America and Central America to a little campground uh, uh, outside of, of uh, Sao Paulo, a little place called Achabaya. And uh, they're Spanish-speaking missionaries and uh, the, uh, missionaries to Portuguese-speaking people. And uh, they, they all come together for a week. And a lot of these guys have not been home in a long time. And a lot of them uh, are, are right on the edge of burnout. And a lot of them... Uh, the stresses of being a missionary, of living in a third world nation, and the economies going up and down, and, and, and young Christians not necessarily being as mature and as uh, devout as they need to be, and the problems that that can create in, in marriages and in individuals and in church relationships, and, and, and all of this comes to bear on these, these missionaries. And uh, for the last uh, six or seven years, there has been a retreat every year uh, there's been one for the missionary wives where the wives can come. There are ex-missionary wives and, and uh, some female counselors uh, that show up uh, in, in some follow and work with the ladies and, 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 and help them and, and minister to them and encourage them and pour their lives into them so that they go back to their families and their children and their husbands and the work that they're involved in. They do it in such a way that uh, they can stay on the field and they're effective and and, and they're happy. And the, uh, the, the things that might lead to some disastrous burnout or some disastrous relational issues down the road, those things get taken care of. On the odd years, there's one for the men. And it, it has not failed. In, uh, we've had two of these retreats already, uh, in 09 and in 11. I will have the next one in, in this year in 13. Uh, it has not failed for there to be at least one guy that grabs me on the first day and says, I want you to get with me every day, and I just, I just want you to pray for me. Pray over me, pray for me, pray with me. And we do that. We do it in the morning, we'll do it in the afternoon, we'll do it in the evening. Uh, there will be guys that, that are so stressed out with uh, the different things that are happening that for a while they don't really have any words. All they have are tears. And, and, they, and they weep. Uh, for, you know, when we come together as, as men and we sing those hymns in English that many of them have not heard in a couple of years, all, all of that, that stress and, and all of that pressure and all of the, the feeling of the burden uh, uh, of the church and the well-being of all of those young Christians and, and what's at stake, all of that just kind of rises to the surface when they begin to hear God worshipped in their heartfelt language. And, and it, it really is an opportunity for us to take care of people who are out on the frontier that are really out in the middle of nowhere, many of them literally in the middle of nowhere without any resources, without any help, without very many people that even speak English to be able to pour our lives into them and to help them stay on the field and to be happy in their work and to be effective in their work rather than coming back home. And so I really thank you for giving me this opportunity and I go on your behalf. And uh, with this church family, and we, uh, you know, uh, there's there's uh, there's 15 of us that are going down for this for this uh, this 10-day period, and uh, we say our churches have sent us to bless you, and uh, it 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 is it it's 
having, if you've never been in a, in a third world country by yourself and uh, uh, not having a lot of the resources that you need at times to even think that you're going to make it from one day to the next, then it's really kind of hard to, to really fathom and to, to embrace the importance of this week for some of these guys. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, giving me the chance to go. And having been a former missionary, I, I, I know what these guys go through. And I appreciate the time away to minister to these guys that are out there on the front edge of the kingdom of God. And uh, let's pray before we get into this passage and ask God to bless it as we study. Father, we gratefully acknowledge that we are, are so far from what you would have us be in this life. And yet you have opened through your Spirit this, this world of words up to us in your Bible that help instruct our minds and not, and not just give us the instruction, but inspire us. Inspire us to do better each day in living out the ramifications of our salvation because of the forgiveness that comes through the cross of Jesus. Thank you so much for washing away our sins. Thank you for, for doing what we could not do for ourselves. Thank you for seeing the depth of our problem and the depth of our issues more, more deeply than even we do. Thank You, Father, for being the kind of Father who knows His children inside and out and provides for them in ways that they cannot for themselves. And we pray, Father, that as we study, that You'll give us eyes that see and ears that hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all the church said, Amen. Have you noticed as, as you read the, the first couple of chapters of the Gospel the amount of, of traveling that is going on in and around the birth of Jesus. You have an angel that shows up in Jerusalem to Zechariah who says to Zechariah, you haven't had a son, your wife has been barren, but guess what? You, Zechariah, and your wife, Elizabeth, you're going to have a son. And that son, you're going to give the name John. And he is going to be John the Baptist, and he is going to prepare the way in people's hearts and minds for the Messiah, for the Christ to come. And then that same angel, shortly after that, goes all the way up to Nazareth. And he meets with a young woman by the name of Mary. And he says, Mary, uh, the Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon you. And you're going to become pregnant. And you're going to give birth. And it's going to be a son. And guess what? This son that you're going to give birth to is going to be the Messiah. He is going to be the Christ. And then sometime after that, Joseph and Mary, after she has become pregnant... They travel all the way down from Nazareth to the city of David to Bethlehem. It's also the city of Joseph. It's a time of census during the time of Augustus and when Quirinius is, 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 a, is a governor. And they go all the way down to Bethlehem for that period of time. And this is where the baby is born. And shepherds who are out in the middle of nowhere, out in these fields, are told by an angel and an angelic host, that there has been a Messiah that is going to be a light to all of the nations, to, to the Gentiles, that has been born in the city of David. And this is what he's, what, how you're going to find him. He's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they leave the, the fields and they go into the suburbs of, of Bethlehem and they find that baby just as the angels has, has told them. And then there are these wise men. We think there are three. It could have been as many as, as uh, uh, much more than that. It could have been as many as two. But these wise men travel a great distance. They're from the east, which means that they're probably from, from Persia. They're probably from the area of Iran. And they travel this great distance, and they finally end up in Jerusalem, and then 
finally in Bethlehem because they've been following this star and have traveled a great distance to see this king who has been born into the world. And then an angel comes to Joseph and Mary while they're still in Bethlehem and says, you know what, King Herod is, is a wretched individual. And he has it out for this infant, for this, this baby. What you need to do is to pack all of your belongings and to get as far away as you can, to leave and to get as far away as you can. In this case, as far away as you can get is Egypt. And they go to Egypt for a period of time until they are told that it's okay to go back to Palestine. And they travel all the way back to Palestine and then up into the northern part, into the, the region of Galilee, back to the town of Nazareth. And that's where they raise this little boy, Jesus. You know, with all of this traveling going on, there is no one who has traveled as far as Jesus in His becoming a, a man through the birth of the Virgin. You have in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, this text that Val just read for us, you have a description of the journey that Jesus has made. The, the beginning part of that text in verse 5 talks about Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped that there were some divine prerogatives, that there were some divine privileges that Jesus Himself sacrificed in order for Him to go from being uh, in infant, infinity and eternity all the way back into our finite world. And not only that, He became a man. And the descent did not stop at that. He also humbled Himself. And not only did He humble Himself, but the descent went even further. He humbled Himself to become a servant and in that servitude, in that role as a servant of God in the mission of God for the kingdom of God, He becomes obedient to death and not just any death, but death on a what, church? A cross. Jesus leaves the side of God the Father and God the Spirit and descends from that infinity and from that eternity into our finite world to die in the flesh on the cross in a cruel way and not just cruel but as a criminal and the irony is this with just an exception of, of just a minute exception of human beings nobody noticed nobody noticed which is kind of amazing when you think about it, especially in this world that we live in right now because of Facebook. I mean, you can let the entire world know that you just popped into Old Navy and bought a pair of flip-flops. There was a video that went viral uh, several years ago, and many of you have seen it. It was a, a video of uh, L'Enfant Plaza, uh, one of the, the stops there at the, uh, the metro stations there in Washington, D.C. And it's a cold January morning, and... There's this young man that's standing out in the middle of this metro center, this, this uh, subway stop, and he's playing the violin. And he, he plays for 45 minutes, which is the exact amount of time that's needed to play six pieces by Bach. And people walk by, and some of them drop some money into his case, and some stop and listen for a few minutes. But it's estimated that about 1,100 walked people went by, walked by that violin playing uh, soloist, and nobody really took any notice of him. And then at the end, he folded up everything. There was no applause. There was no recognition. There was, there was nobody that singled out the fact that here was this beautiful music that was being played. Everybody went along and did their business as it was day by day that they had done it their entire lives. Not realizing that the very guy that had been in the middle of that metro station was one of the most famous violinists in the entire world, a fellow by the name of Joshua Bell. Nobody noticed the greatness. 
nobody noticed the beauty that was right there in their presence. And when you think about how Christ came into this world virtually unnoticed and anonymous, you can't help but think about a couple of verses out of Isaiah. The first one from Isaiah 42. Isaiah says in these special servant passages, he says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another. God is wrapped up in His glory and recognizes that it is a glory that does not belong to anyone else. It is a singular, unique, special, significant glory that only belongs to God. But then we go 11 chapters later to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2, talking about this special servant that the New Testament helps us to understand as Jesus says He had no stately form, there was no majesty that we should look upon Him. The glory that only belongs to God, where was that? Nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. Next verse. And we did not esteem Him. Jesus is able to not count equality with God something to be grasped. How that works, I don't know. The kenosis, the emptying out of Himself in order to become man. And this God, who is such a great lover of mankind, not only choosing to be with us, but to die for us, and just a minute exception of humanity in the entire world. Noticed any of that. You see, Jesus' mission was about sin-bearing and not status-building. He is God of, 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 of creation. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. But His mission was about sin-bearing and not status-building. He suffered the, the, the humiliation that was ours. He bore all of the sin. He paid all of the penalties. He experienced the cruel injustices that led Him to be crucified on that cross. He fulfilled all of the demands of judgment. He handled all of the rejection. He withstood all of the hostility as a man. And then when He died on the cross, when He suffered death on the cross, Satan was defeated and the sting of death was removed and the possibility of a relationship with God because Forgiveness of sin was now made available because He had become the substitute. He had become the sacrifice for us. But there was one more journey that He was going to make. And it's found in verse 9 of the text that, that, uh, that Val read for us, Philippians chapter 2. One more journey. After all of that has been accomplished, God exalted Him to the, finish it church, highest place. exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all the church said, Amen. Now as we close out our thoughts on this, this text, on this ancient hymn, two truths for today. The first is this, humility precedes exaltation. Humility precedes exaltation. That's not the experience of very many people. It's usually the other way around. There's this great exaltation which usually precedes their complete humiliation. You might have heard the story about Muhammad Ali when he was uh, the, uh, the world heavyweight champion, champion boxer, entire world, won that title a couple of times. 
He's getting onto an airplane to fly to another city. And, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's, got, a, he's got an ego and he's got a personality the size of, 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 of Texas. And he's there and he's sitting in his chair and the stewardess walks up and says, Mr. Ali, you need to, uh, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And Ali looks at her as only Ali can and smiles and, and winks. And he says, you know what? Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess looks at him, not impressed in the least, and says, well, Superman, he don't need no airplane. <laughs> Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12, Jesus himself is speaking, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Humility is not popular in the modern culture that we live in and implies that you don't like yourself very much. If you say, hey, I'm a humble person, it sort of implies in the minds of some that you don't have a lot of goals or any goals at all in your life. But when you think about what the word means biblically and scripturally, humility, biblically speaking, means to be gentle. It means to be modest. It means to defer to other people which was not very popular in the ancient culture because that was the attitude of a slave. Yet over and over and over again, when you find this word used in the New Testament, this word is used in a positive sense in the Bible which rocks the ancient world in its understanding of virtues. Humility became, in a manner of speaking, the medicine that the world needed. Think about what, it, what would have happened if Jesus had not been humble, if He had not humbled Himself, if He had not given up those divine prerogatives and divine privileges, emptied Himself of those things in order to come and to die on the cross, what if He had treated other people with contempt? And what if instead of having compassion and healing the lame and those that were ill, He jeered them? What if He was the kind of... of, of of human being that, that ridiculed others in cruelty and was cruel in his intentions and cruel in his touch and cruel in his selfishness. What if there was the manifestation of pride in the incarnate Son of God, Jesus, where He put His own self-interest first? There He is in the garden. And you have to wonder, would there have been a cross? If there had been that, that same intention to preserve self and, and to do whatever it, it cost to be able to preserve self and to make much of self and to enlarge self rather than to make himself a servant and to humble himself and, and, and to become, you know, at, at, at that, that substitute for us having never known sin. Would there have been a cross? Would there have been a prayer that said, not my will, but your will be done? You know, when it comes to doing the will of God, a necessary ingredient is humility because we're not looking for our own way, but for the God way. And for us to become engulfed and, and, and to become integral into the stream of the kingdom of God and its work, it doesn't, it doesn't take just a little bit of humility. It takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of humility to say that it's not going to be my will in every case or any case where God's will is being made known by being made known clearly, with clarity. That it will always be His will. 
You know, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less in order to think of others more. It's not about being down on yourself. It's about making more of other people. It's a necessary ingredient in joining the mission that God has for His church. And sometimes, quite frankly, it's, it's hard work. And quite frankly, it is, it is a struggle to be humble when every part of our being says, I want to lash out. I want to preserve self. I want to be lifted up. I need the words of grandeur. That's why Jesus says over and over again, and He modeled it, and every writer in the New Testament talked about the fact that, you know what, when it comes to this humility thing, always remember that it's God that's going to exalt you. You're the one that's going to get exalted. Through that humility, through that service, through that modesty before God, through that, 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 that bearing of that cross according to His will in this life, as tough as it gets, there will be that exaltation. There will be that come into my presence, come into my kingdom, come into my heaven, my great and faithful servant. There's going to be the lifting up of those that have humbled themselves and become modest in God's presence and have, have made His will and His presence and His desires the premium in their life and their own desires subservient and, and that God's will is what trumps the desires of their heart. But it's not only that. Not only is there exaltation that will follow the, the, the decision to live a humble life, but every knee will bow now or later. That's just the truth. You remember those candies? Uh, I, I guess you don't really see them that much anymore. They were a horrible candy. Back in the 60s and the 70s called now and laters. Remember those? Man, if you're, if you're old enough to remember now and laters... Uh, you know, that's saying something about your age right there. I remember there was this grape now and later that you put that thing in your mouth and it was just grape all day long. And the idea was you can have it now or you can have it later. And, you know, the Apture Boys were not about later candy. We were about now candy. So we always attacked it right then and there. It was a horrible candy. It was a horrible candy. Not everything, not everything is, is, can be put off. Not everything can be put off. When Christ comes again, when Christ comes again, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. This is not, he's not talking about universal salvation here. He's talking about the universal acknowledgement of what it is that Christ has done on behalf of human beings according to God's will. His name is going to be above every name. When we worship on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings together, corporately, what we're doing is we're transferring the glory from ourselves to Him. Worship is a glory transfer. All the honor is due Him. And we either do it now or we will do it later. And no one much recognized Him the first time when He came. Not very many people recognized Him the first time He came. I'm here to tell you, church, that will not be a problem the second time He comes. His first coming, He was dressed in swaddling clothing. His second coming, He will be regal as a king. The first time He came, He came to announce peace on earth. The second time He comes, it will be to wage war against His enemies. The first time He came, it was to save all men. The second time He comes, it will be to gather His elect to His heaven. The first time He came, it was to bear judgment and to be judged. 
The second coming, He will be the judge. The first coming, worship is an option. The second coming, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, when we meditate on the words of this great hymn, it, it just seems that every time we spiral into it and spiral into it again and get deeper into it and spiral into it more, there's just a richness and a challenge and, 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 a, and an understanding of the greatness of the sacrifices that God has made and that Christ has lived out, the implications of which we are called to have that mind of Christ among ourselves. It just seems it gets richer and richer and richer. And the challenges to get deeper and deeper and more confrontational especially in light of the kind of culture that we live in, that does not like humility. That does not esteem being humble. But for those that recognize the greatness of that first mission, that first coming, that incarnation, that sacrifice, that obedience, that humility that He made Himself become as a servant and to die as a criminal, a substitute for our own sin. Well, we live out the ramifications of that for the rest of our lives. Being, being called to live that same kind of a life with each other and, 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 and to be humble in each other's presence knowing, knowing, knowing that it's God who will exalt us in the end. It's always the reverse. If you want to be first, then you're going to be last. But if you're last, then you're going to be first. If you want to be great, then you have to be humble like a servant because it's the humble servant that God exalts. Jeff's going to lead us in an invitation song right now. It's, it's an invitation for you to, 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 to find yourself being blessed by the greatness of that sacrifice that Christ made on that cross, becoming a man and becoming a servant and becoming a, a humble sacrifice on that cross in order for us to have any hope of, of a relationship with God. And during the singing of this song, if you would like to access that grace, have your sins washed away through baptism, to become a part of the family of God, to become a member of His church, then we want you to come down these aisles and talk to these shepherds down here at the, at the very front. And, and those of us who recognize the greatness of God, what we're called to do in this moment is to stand and to praise the greatness of God in Christ. That's praise and that's stand and sing. My